May we read, may we pay attention, may we allow the word of God to be a lamp to our feet, a clarifier, a director, a protector. May God get all the glory. Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you. It's great to be worshiping with you, man. We are getting 2024 started with a bang as we get after it here. And uh, very fired up about this series we have coming up here. This series is called Obey, Valuing God's Word. So if you remember, just a little reminder as we jump all the way back to August, when we started this year, we were jumping into a John 15 life. That's our challenge, to go after having a John 15 experience with our God. Remember, he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Draw life from me. Abide with me. Spend time with me. May God get all the glory. And so we're walking through a whole year of John 15 life. So we started with abide, what it meant to spend our time uh, just immersed in who he is, in the greatness of who he is, abide with him. And then we went to the ask series, talking about praying and coming before him, spending our time with him daily, regularly in relationship. Now we're talking about God's word being added to it. So abiding and praying in God's word. Man, we put these three together and it brings us to an immense drawing of life from him. These are the words, these are the verbs that Jesus called out in John 15. As he said, abide with me. He said, ask whatever you will. He said, obey my commands. And these are his words. And so we're following after him and all that he says. As we jump into this obey series, we're gonna be talking through God's word. What is God's word? How do we know God's word? How can we value God's word? How should we respond to God's word? And we're gonna take on a challenge of getting in his word and getting regular with it. So just one stat for you as we get going here, did a little bit of looking things up this week. They said in America, of all the homes in America, about 80% of homes have a Bible in the home, at least one Bible in the home, 80%. That was more than I thought it would be. 80% of the homes. 50% of those homes say they will never touch the Bible, they never do, and they never will. That's not the plan, it's just sitting on a shelf somewhere, right? 50%, over 50%. In the 40% range, they're like, maybe once a year, maybe twice a year, that's it. We're not looking for more than that, right? There's just a handful of percent, six, seven, eight percent that are saying daily and weekly, I wanna be diving into God's word. Six, seven, eight percent, that is a small percentage. Man, may this church be part of that percentage. May we get into God's word. May we get fired up about God's word daily, weekly. May God's word be pouring in us and through us. Ready? And all of God's people said. So let's get after it here. Let's dive in today and turn with me, if you will, to 2 Peter chapter 1 starting in verse 16. 2 Peter 1, starting in verse 16. And today we're launching it off with the Bible is trustworthy, right? Trust the Bible. It's all going to start with our trust. If we have a good trust of God's word, then we can start leaning in to God's word. So the goal is trust. Everybody say trust. That's where we're headed. All right. So here we go. Uh, first point, trust. The Bible is recorded by eyewitnesses of God's majesty. The Bible is recorded by eyewitnesses of God's majesty. Trust. 
Know this, that there are eyewitnesses. Everybody say eyewitnesses. That's what's being recorded throughout Scripture, the truth of what was seen and known and experienced, all right? So here we go, starting in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I'll just hold right there. We did not follow cleverly devised myths. He's like, look, when we've been sharing with you all that we know of Jesus Christ, when we've been sharing with you all that's been shared with us, it wasn't because we heard from somebody who heard from somebody who heard from somebody. Man, we were there. Peter's saying this. We're eyewitnesses. We were present in the greatness and the grandeur and the glory of all that he is. We didn't follow cleverly devised myths. He's like, look, you got to admit, no matter what, all the interaction and all the agreement and the amazing connection, it would have to at least be cleverly devised. But man, this is not a myth. This is reality. And we are the eyewitnesses of it. He says, we didn't devise clever myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's like, I want to make this clear. I am an eyewitness to the power of the Almighty God at work. He's like, I'm telling you this. I saw lame people stand up and walk. I'm telling you this. I saw the blind see. I'm telling you this. I saw the word of God leap forward in my heart as Christ spoke, taking on an amazing power in my life. I'm telling you, I saw angels move. I saw God's glory beaming forth. I was there. Peter's saying that. I'm an eyewitness, and I'm willing to go to the cross and die myself for it. Peter, willing to die for, and in fact, actually did give his life for the cross. He says, yeah, of the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's like, listen, Christ came the first time and he made clear who he was and he talked about all that's going on. And as Christ talked about what was taking place, he made clear that he will come again. Jesus Christ, he is king of kings. He is going to get on his white horse. He's going to be thundering back in as king over all. All of this ridiculous world brought to its knees as Christ gets all the worship. And all God's people said, know this, we know the king and he is coming again. And Peter's like, I've met him, I've talked with him. And I'm telling you, he's talking about his coming again. There is a hope and a promise and a power along the way. And he says, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And I love that phrase. As Peter's making it clear, we were eyewitnesses of his perfection. We were eyewitnesses of his glory, of his power, of his tenderness. We were eyewitnesses of his reality, his majesty, his kingship thundering forth in front of us in so many different ways. So what we're recording, dude, we're recording what we saw. No way. I am an eyewitness. Everybody just say eyewitness. We can trust God's word. There are people who eyewitnesses recording it down. And then he says, for, 
He's like, let me give you an example of one of his amazing majesty moments. For when he received honor and glory from the God, God the Father, and the voice was born or carried to him by the majestic glory, He's like, when there was this booming voice forth about Jesus, and we're going to see in just a second, he's talking now about the Mount of Transfiguration. He's talking about when Jesus, in all of his glory beaming forth, was there with Moses and Elijah. He invited just a few to come with him, James and John and Peter. And Peter is writing this. And Peter's like, I was there, man. We were on the mount. It was just a few of us. And we were talking about what was going on. And as we were communicating, all of a sudden, something started to change with Jesus and his very divinity, the Godhead of Jesus, just started beaming forth in this glorified body of Jesus beaming forth. It was this amazing moment of seeing him in his full glory. And as he was beaming forth with his perfection and his righteousness and his holiness, all of a sudden in the midst of that glory that basically had us almost backing up, then we saw Moses and Elijah step up and begin to talk to him. And it was three great prophets in Israel, Jesus and Moses and Elijah, and they're talking together. And as they're communicating, wouldn't you like to know what they were talking about? And as they were communicating and talking, James and Peter and John just sitting back going, what are we looking at? Look at this majesty and this glory, this holy mountain and all that's going on. But that's not where it ends. Peter then says, yes, from this moment of massive glory, there was a voice that boomed forth the majestic glory of God the Father declaring forth about who Jesus is, what did he say? Well, it's recorded right after it, and that's how we know he's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Like these are the same words that were actually said about Jesus when he was getting baptized. Isn't it amazing that when God the Father is clearly stating anything about God the Son, he's making it clear, let me tell you, I am God the Father, this is my Son. This is God the Son, and I want you to know I am well pleased, absolute perfection with this one. Holiness, sinlessness, you can trust this one. The thundering, testifying voice of God the Father booming forth as he says, this one I am pleased with fully, nothing held back. Man, Jesus, absolutely the hope of the world. Peter says, we ourselves heard this born or carried from heaven. We heard this thundering voice. I can't even imagine what it sounded like as the rumble of God's voice booming forth the declaration, this is my son, thundering forth. Peter's like, just so you know, uh, I'm in. I am all in. I am an eyewitness to the glory and the greatness and the perfection and the power and the majesty and God the Father agreeing along the way. He says, for we were with him on the holy mount. We were there on the mount of transfiguration. Peter's like, we were eyewitnesses. And I'm telling you, 
I will give my life for this truth. This is reality. May we count on this along the way. Peter, talking about the place where three great prophets met and the glory of God Almighty was revealed and he's making clear that he is an eyewitness in the process. Everybody just say, eyewitness. May we trust God's word. We have eyewitnesses recording what they saw. You know, as we get headed into 2024, um, each of us may have our own habits of how we go about life on a daily basis and how we walk through things. And I know for Jana and I, we've kind of started a new little ritual. We actually are watching a little bit of TV at night. We'll either watch a, a movie or we'll stream something on TV and just kind of take a little bit of time to watch that. And at times maybe take a moment to pray together first and then watch something and to be able to enjoy along the way, right? And as we go to enjoy, man, it's a blast to be able to walk through. And we've decided we have this, there's kind of some loves in the home. We love to be able to watch movies that have something to do with maybe kind of like a law and order. Like there's a police element and there, and there's actually the legal coming in. There's vindication and there's justice and there's something good happening. There's, there's also a love of things like Hallmark <laughs> and sports. You can guess who those might belong to and I'm not Hallmark just to tip you off, right? So, uh, but we settle on things that we can agree to like and to watch and there's this intricacy and the reality and there's, there's this legal and whatever comes forward to bring a justice in the middle of it. And so we've decided, we started this habit back when Jana actually uh, had the surgeries on her Achilles. There were a couple different years of surgery. And so um, we actually watch in our bed. We, we kind of kick the pillows up and we kick back. We've got this 65 inch screen TV in our room. <laughs> Dude, have you seen how cheap these 65 inches are now? It's ridiculous, man. Like three, 400 bucks. We got a 65 inch screen TV in our bedroom and we're watching this big screen in this dark room and being able to bring it decent sound on the TV and loving being able to walk through and watch what's happening. And man, as you're watching this stuff unfold in the law and order pieces, the things they're looking for are witnesses. They're looking for somebody who can stand up and say, I was there and I saw it. And even better yet, not just a witness, but a witness who is credible, a witness who can be trusted, a witness who is solid. The airtightness of the case often depends on eyewitnesses. Know this, man. The Bible is replete with eyewitness accounts. Massive numbers of people saying, I was there. This is what I know. This is what I saw. May we trust in God's word. Everybody say trust. So how are you doing at beginning to lean into God's word in 2024? Trusting the eyewitness accounts along the way. God sharing with you and moving you in your journey with him. May we trust the king. And all of God's people said, amen. Point number two. You gotta love that sound. <laughs> Papers turning to get ready for the notes. Here we go. Point number two, trust. The Bible is recorded by prophets who were moved directly by God. 
The Bible is recorded by prophets who were moved directly by God. Not only is it eyewitness accounts, but now it is prophecy recorded. It is God speaking to man and giving them a word to share. And those prophetic words often fulfilled, showing the reality of prophecy in it. So we start out here, verse 19, it says, and like not only is it eyewitnesses, but there is so much more. It says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. We have the prophetic word. We have God speaking to man and man sharing out. God speaking through man to man. Prophecy recorded. Just so you know, there's some 2,500 prophecies in Scripture, and about 2,000 of those have already been fulfilled. By tracking prophecy, you can see where God is stating what he's going to do and watching him do it. About 2,000 already fulfilled, 500 more still to come in the end times here. It's a huge deal as we see prophecy fulfilled in so many ways. And it is a massive deal and it gives you hope to understand when God is sharing what he's doing, just know this, God has a plan. Everybody just say, God has a plan. Man, God has a plan and as we are aware of prophecy, we can be stunned with seeing a little bit of his plan unfolding and seeing how much he's a part of it along the way. And this is a huge reason why we dove into the book of Revelation all of last year and going after it. Learning what God has to say about what is to come. Some of those 500 prophecies still to come. That's a lot of revelation and the fulfillment there and the end time stuff. I mean, you got to imagine when you're reading scripture, right? And it's talking about end times. And that in the end, it's all going to come down to the nation of Israel and that little land. And there's going to be the Middle Eastern uprisings around it. And you're going to see like the Euphrates River dry up. And you're going to see other wars. And there's going to be a talk of one world government. Like that's the kind of stuff that was being read. Imagine a couple thousand years ago when everything was centered around Israel. And then it started moving towards Europe and broader Asia and even over into the Americas. And then everything got centered into North America and you have this massive shift away from there. It would have been easy to read scripture and be like, come on, it's not really going back there. And look where we are now. Look at the attention going on to the nation of Israel, to that land in that area, to the pressures that are coming from around it. Look at the statements of one world government that are going on. Hear the words, the Euphrates River is drying up. Know this, God has a plan. Everybody say, God has a plan. Man, as we look into prophecy and as we're aware of what God's word says, it will confirm for you that God is at work in this world. And all of God's people said, he's like, know this, it's more than just eyewitness account, it's prophetic account along the way. He said, to which you would do well to pay attention. I'm not sure there could be a more parenting statement made, right? You would do well to pay attention right now, right? It's every word you would love to say, mom, at home, in that moment in the house when it's going awry and you're like, you would do well to pay attention right now, right? Peter's like, listen, pay attention. Know what's going on. Hear God's word. Listen to the eyewitnesses. Hear the prophetic statements made. And know this, God is at work. Jesus Christ is coming again. He is gonna rule over all. 
Sin will be put aside. Death will be defeated. We will live in a place that will have no more pain, no more sin, no more sorrow, no more heartache. Christ has it in hand. And all of God's people said, this is our hope, man. As we dive into God's word, as we see his majesty, as we hear of his prophecy, may we cling to God having a plan along the way. He says, pay attention. I'll just give you three words to put with pay attention. Know it, watch for it, worship him, right? Know, watch, worship. Know, be aware of what prophecy says. Watch for the fulfillment of and worship him along the way. Yes, be eyewitness, uh, trusting the eyewitness accounts. Yes, be worshiping him daily and personally, but be aware of God at work. Knowing, watching, worshiping. How do we pay attention? That's a big way. May you celebrate your God in that journey. Well, that said, we have a Bible that is chocked full of eyewitness account and a prophetic statement and the truth and the majesty of God and all that he is. So here's the simple question that we need to address. So is the Bible that we have today a good match to the original? Is this something I can trust? And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a moment to step outside of the scripture and we're just going to talk for a little bit. We're going to give a little bit of a uh, kind of a teach moment to diving in and trusting God's word, all right? So you might need to like loosen your neck a little, get ready to think a little, loosen the shoulders up. This is going to be a little bit of think time, all right? Outside of scripture, but a little bit of think. We're going to talk through what are the scientific statements that are needed to be able to trust that a book is actually matching the original, okay? What are the scientific things? There's actually three parts to it. All right? And so we're going to talk through how the Bible actually fulfills every one of those. Okay? So the three parts. The first is called a bibliographic test. Bibliographic. Biblio, like you can hear the word Bible, it means book. Like, how can you test that a book is real? A manuscript matches the original. All right? So a little bit of teach time here. It's not what we typically do from the front, but get this. Ready? Big deal. Bibliographic. There's really two parts to the bibliographic. Uh, there needs to be a lot of copies. Right? a lot of copies, and it needs to be done really close in time to when the original was written. All right, that's a good bibliographic test. If you've got a lot of copies, they all match with each other, and they're very close to the time of the original being written, you can really pass the test very easily on the bibliographic. I'll say it this way. The New Testament has 24,000 Greek manuscripts very close in time to the original. 24,000, everybody say that's a lot. Dude, that is a lot of manuscripts that were copied and written and recorded that are in large scale, just right around the time of and in match with, okay? So a lot of copies and in close proximity of time match, all right? That's a big deal. You might be like, yeah, well, that's New Testament. What about the Old Testament? I thought there was like this really big gap um, from like the book of Isaiah to when it was actually written. And, and that was actually true up until like 1947, and in 1947, there was what was called the Dead Sea Scrolls. Dead Sea, you know, it's a place over in Israel, right? And they found these scrolls up in the caves there. And as they pulled them out of these jars and they were perfectly kept, it turned out that they closed the gap by a thousand years. These scripts were able to be dated back to right around the time of. It collapsed a thousand years out of it and it put manuscripts back to the time of some of the Old Testament writings. 
It was a huge deal. We have manuscripts from all over the place, Old Testament now that are confirmed from the Dead Sea Scrolls of 1947. Dude, we have a lot of manuscripts close in time for both old and new. Like one of the closest books outside of the Bible that is a match to kind of that time frame would be Homer's Iliad. You may have read it in school. There are a total of six copies close at all in time to that original writing. And we call that Homer's Iliad without question. Six, that is not a lot. And we have tens of thousands of manuscripts with scripture. Know this, the bibliographic test passes. It is absolutely well-preserved. Everybody say well-preserved. This is a good recording of the original eyewitness accounts and the original prophetic statements. Well-preserved, okay? Second, the second test, not just bibliographic, but external. It's got to externally match. That means the archaeology and the history has to line up with what's in there, okay? So as you read through the Bible, there has to be a match of archaeology and history along the way. And that's a big deal to have that match. And uh, the Bible is a great match with so many things historically. In fact, in a lot of cases, they've learned about history from the Bible, tried to reject it along the way. Like there was one they were saying like, oh, there's, there's nobody called the Hittites, right? You go to Old Testament, there, there's nobody called the Hittites. We don't see any proof of that anywhere archaeologically in any way. And uh, just in the Bible, it's got to be a made up thing, a metaphor or something. And then they found a bunch of manuscripts that talked about the Hittites. And they're like, well, never mind. <laughs> we won't talk about that one. But there's other things we're upset about. Like, you say that Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, but come on. We have no writings from the time of Moses at all. There wasn't any written language at that time. It's not possible. It's not possible. <laughs> And then they found manuscripts written from a thousand years before the time of Moses. Everybody say, oops. And they're like, okay, well, that was a bad example. But we have other complaints, right? They kept arguing from an argument of silence. We're not seeing it yet, so it must not be true. That is a terrible way to proof text things, right? So you need an absolute contradiction in archaeology and history against something before you can say the external fails. The Bible has none of that. There is absolutely a strong meeting with, and in fact, as you trust the Bible and use it to guide you a little bit, you start finding out more archaeology and history along the way and where to look. And it's an amazing proof text. The Bible is well aligned with archaeology and history. Everybody say well aligned. So it is well preserved. It is well aligned. And now the third one, the internal. It has to be consistent within itself. The Bible is amazingly consistent. The hundreds of thousands of cross-references to itself are amazing. The Bible was written over 1,500 years, 40 different authors, three different continents, Europe and Asia and Africa, three different continents, 40 authors, 1,500 years, and there is massive consistency. There is no other book like it. 
This massive consistency, so trustworthy in every way, an amazing connection amongst. We already talked about the prophecies, 2,000 prophecies that are already fulfilled, stated in one, but found to be fulfilled in another time frame. Massive agreement along the way. Consistency in every way. There is a huge trusting of God's word. Men know this, God's word. Absolutely in agreement with itself, absolutely in agreement with what goes on around in archaeology and history, and absolutely tons of positive, trusted recordings to the original. It is eyewitness. We can absolutely trust God's word. To use the words again, well-preserved, well-aligned, and solidly consistent. That is God's word. In fact, I'll just... Stay on one last heady statement and then we'll be done with the heavy think, all right? So uh, Aristotle's dictum, Aristotle's dictum. You're like, what do you read throughout the week, Tim? Like, what? <laughs> Aristotle's dictum, uh, he says, there's a quote, the benefit of the doubt is to be given to the document, not to the critic. The document or author must be proven absolutely wrong before an accusation is to be found true, okay? That's Aristotle's dictum. The benefit must be given to the document. There are too many critics walking around saying, well, if we can throw anything at it, then you gotta listen to us. Uh, no, that's the way it stands. Well-preserved, well-aligned, solidly consistent. Eyewitness recordings of the majesty of God. Prophetic statements fulfilled by the thousands. God has a plan. And all of God's people said, man, our job is to be able to trust and to walk with him. So what does it look like? How do we handle God's word? Let's jump back into God's word and see what he has to say now. So he starts out and he says, pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, like a lamp turned on in a dark room. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but has it been really dark and dismal for like the last number of weeks? It's crazy, man. I feel like I'm losing my eyesight a little bit because I can't quite see in the room during the day, right? And so we turn the light on to be able to see and to be able to grasp what's going on. So may we use a lamp. I wrote three words down for how we would use a lamp first for clarity, for clarity, think child's playroom at night, toys all over the floor. Turn the light on so you can move in between and not absolutely ream your foot with pain, right? Make sure we're not stepping on things that bring great agony. It brings clarity to what we need to stay away from and what we need to stay with along the way. Clarity, like a lamp in a child's room at night, right? And uh, here's another one, direction, direction. Think flashlight on a dark path in the middle of the woods, this big heavy forest of woods. And as you beam the flashlight back and forth, you can see the edge of the woods and where the path ends and the woods begin. And you can follow along on this path. You'll even see at times where there's forks in the path and knowing which way to go based on what you're seeing, using the flashlight on the path for direction. 
So man, using God's word for clarity, where to walk, where not to walk, direction, direction of where to head along the way. And here's a third one, protection, protection. Once again, it is January. And so in our neighborhood in Morton, the coyotes are out running, right? And so the coyotes are out running. They're looking for feasts and morsels about this big. And we have a little black dog just about that size. And so we let our little morsel out for dinner. <laughs> so we grab this big flashlight and we're like, and we put that thing on and you beam all the way across the berm in the back and up into the uh, different trees on the side and go back and forth. You may even need to step outside and make your presence known as you beam this back and forth. And that light brings a protection for that dog as our black dog goes out into the dark night and disappears. You're like, you put the flashlight on him and you can see him out there. He's going out to go to the bathroom. If it were me, I'd be like, can you get the light off of me for a little bit? You know, but, but honestly, bringing protection for him in a huge way, right? It's a huge deal. May we know this. God's word brings clarity and direction and protection as we follow his word and trust in him as he leads us along the way. Ready? And all of God's people said, Amen. how long do we use God's word? He says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He's like, man, as long as you're in this broken world, the day dawns is like when you're finally coming to morning. He's using a metaphor here. He's like when you come out of the dark into the dusk, into the dawn, and you see this light starting to fill the sky, and you can begin to make out images with your eyes. Then you don't need the lamp anymore, maybe. And he's like, just so you know. And then he says, and the morning star rises in your hearts. Notice the metaphor in it. He's not saying in the morning star rises in the sky. He says in your hearts. He's talking about Jesus Christ, the king of the universe, and him coming again. He's talking about this world done, this brokenness over, the ridiculous challenge to truth that is going on today. Please know this. The world is beginning to challenge what is truth and what isn't. And it's beginning to be defined by whatever you want to feel. And man, careful because that will walk you hard away from realities as your emotions guide the day. God's word, man, may it lead us to a reality in this world. Truth, it's when words spoken align with realities that exist. Truth, may we live that. Let that settle, by the way. There are a lot of definitions out there for truth. When words spoken align with the realities that are. That is a truth. A physical reality has to be matching up with the words or you don't have that, right? Be careful with that along the way. All right. Enough said. It says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises. He said, know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. He's like, just so you know, the prophet wasn't like, I'm just gonna write whatever I want. I'm going to make it up. Like he didn't make it up. More than that, he didn't interpret it. He's like, okay, I didn't make it up. God told me, but I'm going to tell you what I think it means. The word of God, according to me, means this. Everybody say, that's a terrible plan. 
And so, you know, like when we walk through the book of Revelation and we say, if the plain sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense, right? Don't try to add your take on things. Hey man, this book according to me, my interpretation of these words is, be careful with that. Let God's word stand as it is. If the plain sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense. And all of God's people said, it is a basic approach to God's word where we let truth stand and we don't let our emotions rule the day. God, you get your way. He's like, just so we're super clear, prophecy was not recorded by someone's own making it up or interpreting it themselves. He says, for no prophecy was produced by the will of man, but man spoke from God. No prophecy was created where they're like, I should make something up about this today. Everybody say, not that. No, not that. It's God moving in man to speak to man. God beginning to move. And in fact, it gives a little more description of how this message to man happens. He says, as they were carried along by the Spirit, carried along by the Spirit, directed and moved. In fact, if you look at 2 Timothy 3, it actually says that the Word of God is God-breathed. There is this inspiring that happens, this moving along. Here's the best way I can describe this. Picture God as the great artist. He's the Bob Ross. That dated me big time, but enjoy yourself with that art. So he's the Bob Ross. He's this great artist painting on a tapestry. And as he goes to do this tapestry painting, he uses what's in the toolbox of the person he's working with. And so a fisherman is gonna have very specific experiences and vocabulary and a way of thinking. And he's gonna paint with that one using those specific words and thoughts and ways of approaching. Still God's truth, but using a fisherman's mindset. Then he goes to working with a Pharisee, Paul, coming across with deep Roman knowledge. And it's a whole different vocabulary and a different way of speaking and painting but he's painting the same God-given reality with those words and those ways of voicing it. And then he moves to a doctor, Luke, and he begins to communicate that with his vocabulary and his rigorous attention to chronology and structure. And yes, he's communicating using the person's toolbox, their experiences, their life, their vocabulary, and all the rest. It is God's word moving in and through them, choosing their vocabulary and their way of saying it and working with them. It is not God dictating, but is God painting using their toolbox, representing their character and their person, but God's word exactly represented on the page. That's the best way to understand what's going on, man. The word of God, the verbal plenary inspiration. Each and every word all the way down to the smallest detail, 100% accurately representing God's message while still representing the person who was recording it. May God get all the glory. He carried men along communicating his message. That's what we have. 40 different authors, God working with each of them in their toolbox, over 1,500 years, eyewitnesses of the majesty of the glory of God and prophecy along the way. May we read, may we pay attention, may we allow the word of God to be a lamp 
to our feet, a clarifier, a director, a protector. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, and that said, we have launched into a kind of a new challenge moment as we go into 2024. And so we have a reading plan going Monday through Friday. Join with us. And uh, you may be like, well, I missed the first week. Hey, the plan is to go from Christmas to the cross. That's what we're doing. January, February, and March, we're reading from Christmas to the cross. And we're going to do it in the book of Luke. And so we're walking through the Christmas story. We're starting right at the beginning of Luke and walking through it all the way till it takes Christ to the cross and right after when he uh, rises again, right? And so we're going January, February, March, right up to Easter. By the way, did you know that Easter is in March this year? (laughs) Is that crazy, man? March 31st. So Jan, Feb, March, and we're going to walk right up to it and we're going to be celebrating Christmas to the cross. If you missed last week and you want to jump in now, don't worry. We're still in Christmas. We're in Luke chapter 2. So jump in and join us. Let's go after it. It's about 15 verses a day as you take a little bit of time reading God's Word, becoming one of the 7% in America that says, I will walk with God's Word daily, weekly, trusting in Him. Man, let's jump in together. May God get all the glory. Let's trust His Word. Are you in? letting God's light be a lamp to your feet. And all of God's people said, let's pray.